Well, Merry Christmas. We are so glad that you're here. Um, we want to thank you for spending part of your weekend uh, with us, and I'm sure this is a super busy weekend for all of you, but, you're, uh, but you took time out of it to spend some time with us, and we're so thankful. Uh, this is our fourth out of five services that we've had, uh, that we're having this, uh, this, this weekend here at Grace, and so we still got one more tonight that we're excited about, but uh, we want to thank you for, for being here. Uh, I don't know about you, but uh, Christmas time is like by far the busiest time of year. I mean, there's just all this stuff that we got to do. It's like the parties, the gatherings, the get-togethers, and, and if you're like me, you find Find yourself doing things that you don't normally do all in the name of Christmas, right? It's like, it's Christmas, so we have to do this thing that we don't do or we don't even like to do, really. Um, some of you guys, I mean, think about it. You're here this morning because it's Christmas. I mean, this is like you. Like, you're just like, I don't know, it's Christmas time. We probably should go to church or something. So, so you made it here. We're glad that you're here. We'll see you back here at Easter. Um, but uh, no, we're, we're, glad that you, we're glad that you took the time out, and we want to extend a special welcome to you for sure. You are more than welcome here at Grace. Um, But for me, uh, here's an example. A a few years ago, I had a group of people that came to me and they asked me if I wanted to go with them on a Christmas house tour. And I'm like, I've never heard of that before. Some of you guys might be familiar. I think Tiffin has one of those. Uh, This was in Sandusky. But they asked me and I'm like, what is a Christmas house tour? What's that? And they're like, I don't know. You just like go walk through people's houses and stuff. And I'm like, that sounds super weird. I don't normally do that, but I'll do it. In the name of Christmas, I'm in. And so uh, we went, and uh, it was kind of how you would expect it. Um, and, and I didn't really know what to expect, but we pull up to these houses, and we went to, we went to several houses, but you pull up to this house, and it's like giant, grand, Victorian, like sweet house that's just all decked out. It's like they had a professional, like, Christmas decorator come out and like do the outside. You're just like, whoa, you know, like that type of thing. And then you walk in and you're greeted by the owner of the house who's like all dressed up and they got like some cookies in there and you're like, don't mind if I do while I tour your house. Great place. And, um, and it smells good and they got Christmas music playing and it's just, and you're just looking around and it's just, it, the houses that we'd go in, I mean, they were just immaculate. I mean, it's just like everything was in its perfect spot. It was clean. I mean, it was perfect. They got all these Christmas trees and all the decorations and the garland and the lights, just everything. Thing, um, that you would expect it to be, it'd be like a house that it looked like, to be honest, it was like straight out of a magazine. You're like, wow, these places actually do exist. You know, around here, this is crazy. And uh, the what you learn is when you walk out of the house, all right, you're like, man, my house stinks. You know, like, dude, this is so great. And, uh, and you lose all motivation to decorate for Christmas or anything like that. But what we did is we, so we go to like eight or nine of these houses, and we pulled up to the very last one. It was like almost the end of the time that you were supposed to do it. So we're like, okay, this is the last one on our, on our list. And um, this, we noticed we had to drive kind of away from the huge, giant Victorian houses that are kind of near the center of town. We had to drive outside. Um, and, um, and this neighborhood, it wasn't like big Victorian houses type neighborhood. It, was, it wasn't nearly that nice of a neighborhood. And we pull up to this house, and it's, it wasn't nearly that nice of a house. It was just a one-story, maybe two-bedroom um, house. And we pull up, and we're like, Looking the list, you know, looking at the list, we're like, is this right? Like, this does not, like, they had a couple, like, bushes lit up with Christmas lights, and you're like, that's it. This was one of those houses that you see that have, um, that have like, the blow-up decorations. You know what I'm talking about? All right? I know some of you guys are into your blow-up decorations, and I'm not dogging you. All right? I think that's cool. What I respect about you, you people, is that you have to take the thing out of the box, you plug it in, and it's done. I respect that, all right? That, that makes sense to me, okay? Um, but the thing that I don't like about the blow-up decorations things is that when they're not plugged in, 
Have you noticed you've gone by a house like this? It's like a massacre of Christmas characters in the front yard. It's like somebody just went and mowed them all down. And so that was th- this was that kind of house. And so we walked up, and, um, and you got like a dead Santa laying over there. You got a melted snowman right here. And we got Rudolph over there that got shot. And, um, and so they're just kind of laying around, and you're like, all right. Uh, this person <laughs> forgot to plug in their stuff. And so we go up to the front door, and usually at all the other like huge Victorian houses that are all decked out, um, the owner would be there greeting you, or the door would just be open, and they'd be like welcoming you in. Yeah, come on in. Check out my awesome place. Be jealous of me. But this house, the door was shut. And so we went, we knocked on the door, and from the inside you hear, come in, you know. And I'm like, okay, is this the right place? You know, I feel like I'm going in to get shot or something. And so we all kind of, there's a group of us, we all kind of crowd in the front door, and it was super awkward. We, we like, there wasn't any entryway or anything. It's just you walk into their living room and there's like five guys on the couch and a lazy boy watching the Browns game. And um, so we're like kind of shuffle past them and we have to walk in between them and the TV, which is awesome, which is the worst. You know, you're like, sorry, excuse me. I'm going to go look at your house and walk around and snoop around, I guess. And so we walk in and the next room was the kitchen and the kitchen was really small. And that was like it. All right. We get to like the back of the house. And I'm like, this is it. Dead end. Everybody file out backwards, and they, they had like a Christmas tree and maybe some lights like around the ceiling or something, but that was, that was kind of it. At one point, I found myself in this small, like tiny hallway, and I kind of got squeezed out and into, I found myself in a, in a bedroom, and there's like a teenage girl on the bed on her phone, and she kind of looks up at me, and I'm like, nice room, and then I left. I was like, get me out of here. This is so awkward. It wasn't how any of us expected it would be. Um, And what's interesting about it is, think about it, the story of the first Christmas, it wasn't how anybody expected that either, right? That's not how anybody expected that to go. See, the Jewish people, they have been waiting for this for this person called the Messiah, okay? Messiah is just, it's just a, it's an old word for the word Savior. And so they've been waiting for the Savior that God had promised them for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And they're all expecting him to show up in some like sweet palace, some sweet house. Um, they would, he would be born as a prince and everybody would know that this was the guy. Everybody would know that this was the Savior sent by God. They pictured it as he'd be born in some clean, perfect place, palace that would be, that was like, you know, straight out of a magazine. Like, that's how everybody pictured it. But instead, I mean, think about it, right? Like, God chose for the Savior to be born in a small hick town to some no-name broke parents outside in a barn surrounded by animals. Like, that's what God chose. And I imagine when the shepherds show up, because the angels go and they're like, hey, you should go check out this baby. And they're like, all right, let's go. And so the shepherds show up and there's a big group of them. And they kind of like, they look at it before they pull up. They're like, I don't know, is this it? Like, check the list. Is this what the angel said it would be? And they kind of file in there and they, they look and they, you know, the first one gets to the end. He's like, that's it. All right, dead end over here. Everybody file out. And they're like, oh, there's the baby. Okay, nice. You know, and they're just kind of looking around. Um, I bet the shepherds, I mean, this was not how they expected this to go at all. I mean, this didn't make any sense to anybody. It's not how anybody expected it to happen. And this story intrigued a Greek doctor who lived 2,000 years ago, and his name was Luke. And Luke came to the conclusion that something happened. 
He came to the conclusion that something must have happened, and he wanted to know exactly what that something was. And so Luke decided to investigate if the stories about Jesus were actually true. And so Luke did the research. He asked the questions. He sat the people down who were eyewitnesses to Jesus. And these people had heard the things that Jesus had said and had seen the things that Jesus had did and had experienced Jesus. He sat these people down, and he interviewed them, and he asked them the tough questions. And this process probably took months, if not years for him to complete. And when he gathered it all down and when he had talked to enough people and when he felt like he got the whole story and after he had listened to their story, he wrote it all down and he compiled it all together into one document. That, by the way, is the book of Luke that you all have in your Bibles here today. And the way Luke begins to start off is he starts off in the first, really the first verse of the first chapter, really the first word, he says, many have undertaken to compile a narrative about the events that have been fulfilled among us, right? This is not a once upon a time. This is not some fairy tale in a galaxy far, far away. That's not how he begins, to, that's not how he begins his document. He, he begins by saying, hey, I'm not the only one doing this. In fact, many people have taken the time and many people have heard the rumors about Jesus and this, this man who walked the earth who claimed to be God and many people wanted to know exactly what this guy was all about and if the stories about this man were true. And so many people have done it, which if you think about it, is super, super, super weird. <laughs> because in the ancient world, like nobody, nobody would take the time to investigate and research and study and then write up an account of the life of a day laborer, especially one that's a criminal. See, nobody did that. But here's Luke. He begins his narrative, and he begins by saying, hey, here's the story, all right? I've done all the research. I've investigated, all right? He says, he says and I'm not the only one who's done it. In fact, many people have wondered about this, and many people have, have been, there's been so many people that have been interested in this. And by the way, can I just say this? If you're sitting there and you're going, man, um, I don't really know about this whole Jesus thing. Like, I don't, I don't really know what I believe, and you're wondering about Jesus. This is why you should listen in. Right, because Luke is writing to people like you. And that's why so many people were interested, because so many people realized that something happened. And so people dug in, and people investigated, and people tried to document. And so here's Luke. He's one of these people. And we still have his account here today. And Luke begins the story of the life of Jesus in this way. After he talked to everybody, after he interviewed, after he'd done the research, after he heard everybody's story, he says, this is what happened. He says, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus, that's the emperor of Rome, that the whole empire should be registered. Basically, Rome, who owns the world at this point, including the area of Israel, uh, Rome wants to know how big and awesome and powerful they actually are. So they want to know how many people are under their rule. It says, this was the first registration that took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. See, the thing that I really like about Luke is that Luke is so detailed, okay? And Luke is so detailed, it's almost, like he's, it's almost like he's saying, hey, fact check me, I dare you, okay? That's what he's saying. He's saying, hey, this was done under the first registration, or the first census, not the second one, not the third one, not the fourth one. This was that first one. You know, the one that took place while Quirinius was governing Syria, that one? And everybody that Luke's audience would have remembered because decades later going, oh, yeah, we remember when that happened. All right, we, 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 we understand. And so Luke knows, ex he wants us to know exactly when and exactly where this took place. It's like he puts a pin in the map. He says, right here at this time, fact check me, I dare you. All right, this is when this all happened. Again, this and the details that Luke gives, this is why we should all lean into what Luke has to say. He says, so everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. 
And Joseph, he also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the family line of David. He says he went to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. Now, we talked about this a little bit last week. Um, this was a really, really, really big deal. See, things were different back then, and um, Mary and Joseph, they were actually married, uh, but le- married legally, but uh, they had to wait a year before they could live with each other or sleep with each other, which to me sounds like the dumbest tradition ever invented, okay? Just terrible. And so that's what they had to do. And so this angel shows up to Mary and says, basically, hey, you are going to be pregnant. You are going to have a child, and there's not going to be any dad in the picture, okay? There's not going to be any dad. This is going to be a miracle, and uh, God's actually going to put this baby in you, and it's going to be crazy. And so that's what the angel tells her. And think about it. Think about how, would it be, how it would be to be Mary. Like, put yourself in her shoes for just a second, all right? Mary, she is married, okay? She's never slept with her husband, and everybody, everybody knows it because she's in this year of waiting period, um, and, uh, and, and the angel doesn't go around and tell everybody, like, what would have been so nice is if the angel would have gone, like, out to the town square or whatever and just been like, hey, just want to let everybody know, Mary's going to be pregnant. And when she starts showing, don't believe, you know, don't think that she did anything wrong. She hasn't cheated on her husband. She hasn't, she's not impure or anything like that. No, 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 that's not the case. No, this is actually a God thing. It's a miracle. It's going to be awesome. So everybody should, like, look up to her. Like, the angel doesn't do that, All right? The angel doesn't go to Joseph, at least not yet, not for months and the angel doesn't go to Joseph and say, hey, don't worry, your wife, you know, it, it's, it's a special, it's a miracle thing. Okay, angel doesn't do that. Angel doesn't even go to her parents. Like, how, how do you think that would have been when she goes to her mom and she's like, hey, mom, I'm pregnant. You know, just not, probably not good. And so here she goes. I mean, imagine that conversation that she has with her husband, Joseph. Like, hey, Joseph, I got good news and I got bad news. Good news is we're having a baby. <laughs> bad news is it ain't yours. <laughs> You know, like, that's probably not going to go over so well for poor Joseph. And then she's got this, like, crazy story that's like, hey, well, um, uh, an angel came and just told me that this was like a miracle, baby. So don't worry. I promise I did not cheat on you. I swear. Okay? Like, he's not, no, none of us would buy that. Joseph's thinking, man, this girl's off her meds. You know, like, this girl is crazy. (laughs) And so Joseph doesn't buy it either. And Joseph decides he's just going to divorce her quietly because he is a, he's a pretty good guy. But then what we find out is that the angel actually comes and shows up to Joseph months later. And basically the angel says, hey, Mary ain't lying. All right, it's true. And so they both, Joseph and Mary, they both go into this thing not exactly knowing what to expect. Obviously, it's a very odd situation. It's a very weird situation. And both of them are are probably at least expecting everything to be going, everything that would be going at least be convenient, Right? I mean, after all, they have the Savior of the world, like the Messiah they are giving birth to. I mean, this is, this, is, this is God of the universe. You would think that it would at least be convenient. And probably things at first were kind of convenient, but then this happens. Caesar demands a census. He issues a decree. Hey, we're all going to take a census. And so everybody needs to go back to their hometown where their family is from. And, uh, and this would have been something that's happened like right when Mary's getting ready to give birth to this baby. I mean, this is like, she's like 40 weeks pregnant. She is ready to pop. And all of a sudden they get this news that they have to travel 90 miles down to Bethlehem. I mean, they're probably both thinking like, whoa, 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 can't we wait till after the baby's born? Like this is, this ain't going to work for us. All right, this can't, like surely not now. Like this, is this really God's plan? 
but they have to do it. And so Joseph helps her on a donkey, and they start riding 90 miles. Now, I'm not a mom, all right? I don't identify as a mom. I'm never going to be a mom. Um, I'm just saying, like, for you moms out there, because I've never experienced this, and I'll never experience this, but how would that be, all right? Picture yourself 40 weeks pregnant. You could give birth at any time, and then you got to ride on the back of an animal for 90 miles. That would take days and days and days and days. That sound fun? I'm guessing that's not ideal. I don't know. I'm just saying. I'm guessing that's not ideal. That's what Mary has to go through. And so they get to Bethlehem, and everybody's traveling for the census, and Bethlehem is just packed full of people, and they get there late, and Mary goes into labor, and Joseph, who is a new dad, starts to panic like all of us dads have been at one point, and he doesn't know what to do. And Luke tells us that while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And then she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him tightly in cloth, and she laid him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. See, everybody who's reading this story, the original audience of Luke, and everybody who was actually there in this story, everybody's thinking the same thing. They're like, are you serious? <laughs> like, is this God's big plan? Like, this is the plan? Are you, like, are you serious right now? Is this is the plan that God had all the way from the beginning of time when sin first entered the world, when Adam and Eve first chose to rebel against God, something that every single one of us in this room do on a daily basis. Like, like when Adam and Eve chose to do that and sin entered the world, this was God's plan that God alluded to all the way back at the beginning of time when he knew that they had a sin problem and he knew that he was the only one who could fix it and he tells them that it's gonna cost him This is the plan? See, God made this plan, and he he took, he started, really, he began this 4,000 years ago where God randomly picks this man named Abraham. And he tells Abraham, he says, hey, I'm gonna save the world. I gotta save the world. There's a sin problem. I gotta fix it. He says, Abraham, I'm gonna use you, and I'm gonna use your family line. I'm gonna do this through your family. And Abraham's family eventually grew into a nation. That became the nation of Israel. And God chose to use the Jewish people, what they were supposed to be is they were supposed to be a light unto the world so they would point the world back to God. But unfortunately, as you read through the Old Testament, what you find is that the Jewish people, time and time and time again, they became like the surrounding nations. They were actually supposed to be the light too. And they rebelled against God constantly. And God doesn't give up on them, which is crazy, because I would have. <laughs> right? God actually sends prophet after prophet after prophet. A prophet, by the way, that's just like a messenger from God. So God goes to a guy and just says, hey, I want you to go tell these people this. And the guy says, okay, God, I got it. And he tells his people that, okay? That's what a prophet is. All right, normal people. And uh, most of them, okay? And, um, and so God, he sends prophet after prophet after prophet saying, hey, someday God's gonna fix this. Hey, you guys need to get back with God. Hey, God has a plan. You need, to, you need to focus in on his plan. In fact, the whole Old Testament is pointing to that day when the Savior would be born. And the whole Old Testament is going, 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 and then silence for 400 years. Nothing until one day. God leans over to his angels, I imagine, and he's like, it's time. And they're like, what, now? He's like, now. And so an angel goes and tells uh, this man named, this old priest named Zachariah and says, hey, guess what? The Savior is coming now. And then the angel shows up to this 14 to 15-year-old middle school girl. She's still got her braces. I mean, God goes, shows up to her and says, hey, all right, um, it's time. Like, like, the Savior is coming now, and God is going to use you. And then the angel shows up to this broke carpenter named Joseph and says, hey, the Savior is coming now, and God is going to use you. And then the Savior is born. But it's not how anybody expected 
It's not how anybody would have expected it to go. I mean, again, the Jewish people were waiting for, for royalty. They were waiting for this baby to be born in some sort of palace. But instead, I mean, think about it. This is how crazy this story is. All right, think about it. God's big plan was to have the Savior of the world, who, by the way, was actually God of the universe. The Bible describes it as God, like how you take off a coat. God took off his glory, and he wrapped himself in a human body, and he came down, and he was born to a poor, uneducated middle school girl and a broke carpenter from a no-name hick town? <laughs> like, that's, that was his plan? Not born in a palace, but born in a barn? Not laying in a warm crib, but, but in a feeding trough surrounded by dirty animals? Like, that's, that's his plan? Like, that's God's big plan? Think about it. It's a story like another. That's what intrigued so many people. It's just a story that seemed too good to be true. It was too unbelievable. It was just too amazing that God of the universe would leave his throne room to come down to us to become one of us on a rescue mission to save us from hell. See, Luke gets the magnitude of the story. See, Luke, what he understands is that if this is true, man, it, it changes everything. Like it changes every, it changes the world, it changes how we view things, it changes what we believe, it changes how we view the world. I mean, it changes everything in our life, at least it should, if it's true. And so that's why Luke dives in, and that's why Luke researches, and that's why Luke tries to find, he wants to know if the story is actually true, and actually Luke finds out later. He says in the same region, right after this happens, there was actually shepherds who were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over the flock. And an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. Now, who's he talking about? He's talking about the shepherds here. There's something you got to know about shepherds. Uh, back then, um, shepherds, they were like second-class people, okay? Uh, nobody wanted to be with shepherds. Nobody liked shepherds. Shepherding was, uh, of course, a necessary job. But shepherds, in general, they were viewed as outcasts. They were kind of bottom of the social ladder. They were uneducated. In fact, they had a reputation of being, um, of being like thieves and liars. Like that's how everybody viewed shepherds. And so nobody wanted to be around shepherds. Nobody wanted to know shepherds. Nobody wanted to talk to shepherds, right? And so the shepherds are out there. They're outcasts. They're kind of doing their own thing. And all of a sudden, the sky explodes, and this angel appears, and they were terrified. I bet they were. Right? This is what we see. Like angels, I don't know. Like I've never seen an angel, obviously, but, but angels must have been some like beefy guys <laughs> because usually when angels and people mix, at least what we see in the Bible, is when angels and people mix, like people lose their minds. All right? Angels aren't some skinny chick walking around looking for people to bless. All right? that's, not what an angel, that's not what an angel is. All right? And so these shepherds, when this angel appears before them, right, these shepherds freak out. They freak out. And Luke says, but an angel says to him, he looks at him and he's like, hey, don't be afraid. Why did the angel have to tell him not to be afraid? Because they're afraid. All right, that's why. That's how it works. He says, for look, I proclaim to you, I got really, really, really good news, is what the angel's telling him, of great joy that will be for all the people. Not just for the educated, not just for the rich, not just for everybody who's, who's somebody. He's saying, no, 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 I got good news that's for everybody, even you guys as outcasts. And by the way, can I just point this out? That includes all, that includes even us here today, all people of all time. That's what this news is for, and this is the news. He says, today in the city of David, a Savior was born for who? For you. Notice that he uses the word Savior. Not some life coach, not some therapist to help you become the best version of you. Now, a savior. And the question is, save from what? <laughs> what do we need to save from? 
All right, see, here's the deal. You need saved, all right, we need saved because you and I are both born selfish. You and I are both born sinners. And all parents, I mean, if you're a parent in here, like, you know, okay, you just know. This is just how it is. Or if you've ever watched a toddler before in your entire life, all right, this is just how it is. Like, sin is an outside, like, an inside, um, outside thing, all right? It's just, it's an inside out thing. That's just what it is. It's not learned behavior. Uh, This past week, my mother-in-law, she bought my kids, like, this, it was like Rudolph cereal, okay? It was, it's like Lucky Charms, but like Rudolph Christmas style, I guess. And so um, one day, one morning, my kids are like eating that, and um, it was sitting out on the counter. And so I'm like, man, I haven't had this ever, you know, never even seen this before. So I reached in, I grabbed a handful, and I'm just starting eating it, okay? And it's good. It's like bringing me back to childhood. Lucky Charms is basically what it was. I'm like, man, this is, this is good. And my daughter, who's four years old, Lizzie, uh, she's at the table, and she looks over. She sees me eating the cereal, and she, like, yells out at me, and she's like, she's like, hey, stop eating my cereal. And I'm like, whoa. And I'm like, she's cute, and she's funny, and I love her to death. I would die for her. But I'm like, who do you think you are? This ain't your cereal. You know, and then I have to do the dad talk that I promised myself I would never do when I was a kid. But here I am. I'm doing it where it's like, hey, Lizzie, look around. All right? You know that chair that you're sitting on? You know that table that you're eating at? You know that spoon that you're using to eat that cereal and that bowl that you're eating out of? How about the clothes that you're wearing? I'm like, all of this is mine. Okay? It's all mine. You get dads have done that before, right? All right, we got to like explain them, like put them in their place. And I'm like, it's all mine. You don't have anything, really. Like, it's all mine. You're mine, even. You know, it's just how it is. And I have to explain that to her. And, be, you know, because she told me not to, then it's like, well, I got to have some more. You know, just to show her that she's not the boss. And I'm like, "Mm, it's good stuff, you know, that type of thing. And I walked away, and what she did next, she runs over without me knowing. She's like quietly sneaks over, and she goes and grabs the box of cereal, and she starts walking away. She's going to go hide it so I can't have any more, and so that only she can have the dang Rudolph cereal. I mean, that's messed up. Like, it, she's only thinking about herself. And again, I'm looking at her, I'm like, she's so cute, she's so nice, oh, Lizzie. And I'm like, but man, on the inside, she's like evil. Like, moms, <laughs> moms, you know. Like, moms, you know the best. All right, your kids are evil. Like, you know that. You're just like, dude, they, yeah, they're messed up. They got some issues, and you don't know how to fix them, and you've tried, and it's just how it is. Some of you guys, like, like if you've got little kids, it's like all they do is they just try to kill you. Like, that, it's, if you feel like that's like what they're, what they're here for is like trying to, trying to put you to death, a slow, agonizing death. Um, but for me, I used, to, I used to be the, the guy who would like judge parents, you know, like in the restaurants and stuff where you, you know, in my 20s, I'd have, there'd be a young family over, you know, over here and they'd be at the table and there's some kid like banging on the table and like throwing food and, and screaming like little things here and there. And I remember sitting there and I'm just like, man, these are some bad parents, you know? This was before I had kids. And I'm just like, dude, these, these parents, what I should do, it'd probably do these parents a, a favor. It'd be doing them a favor. So I just went up, and if I just like walked, like pulled them aside and just say, hey, here's the deal. All right, I'm no expert, but clearly you aren't either, and you need some of my advice. And so this is what you got to do. This is what you should do. Like that's, that's how I viewed it until I had kids. And then when I had kids, now I'm sitting at a restaurant, and I see that stuff happen. I'm like, oh, those aren't bad parents. Those are just bad kids. Like the kids are just, they're just like that, you know? It's just... I don't know, it's just how they are. I wish they weren't, but it's just, it's just true. See, here's the reality. The reality is every single one of us, we are all in the same boat. Every single one of us, we choose to rebel against God. I'm pretty sure on a daily basis. Like I can't think of a day that we don't 
on a daily basis. So we can't keep his rules. <laughs> I mean, think about it. You can't even keep your own rules, right? Like how many times have you told you that you would never do that thing again and then you did it, right? Like January is coming next week. You got a week, people. <laughs> I mean, remember the commitments and the promises that you made to yourself last year? And let's be honest, like how really, in all honesty, how much less do you weigh now than you did last year at this time, <laughs> right? We can't, we can't even keep our own promises to ourselves. Like nobody's lied to you more than you, okay? Nobody has broken more promises to you more than you, and nobody has talked negative about you more than you. See, that's who we are. We are on the inside, every single one of us, we are rule breakers, right? We can't, we can't even keep our own rules, let alone God's rules. And so, and so really our issue is, is God says, hey, when we can't keep his standard, which by the way is pretty lofty, the Bible calls that sin, all right? That's what it is. And so every single one of us, all right, we are all sinners according to the Bible. And our issue is, is that we want to control every little thing in our life. I mean, we want to control everything, the whole areas, all different areas of our life. By the way, how's that working out for you? It don't work. See, if God is holy and he's perfectly just, and if we are sinners, and if God is so holy that he can't be with sin, sounds like a problem for us, right? That's reality. And really, if you think about it, every major world religion has come up with some sort of solution to fix that problem, all right? And if you boil everything down, I get they all have, every religion has like their different things. You got to do this. You got to do that. It's all about doing stuff, by the way. It's just all this, all right? Um, but every, if you boil it all down to the, to the gist of it, it's something like this, is you got to become a better version of you. You got to hope that someday when you die, that your good stuff outweighs your bad stuff. At least hope for it. I mean, if that's true, think about it. If that's true, like the reality is some of you may not have enough time left in the semester to make up for previous work missed, right? You get what I'm saying? It's just true. But here the angel says, no. Like the Savior is Savior's for all people, even the bad ones. He says, he was Messiah the Lord. He says, this will be the sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped tightly in cloth, and he will be lying in a manger, which would have sounded so weird to these, to these shepherds. They're like, in a manger? In a feeding drop? You sure? Did I hear something else? No, that's it. He says, suddenly there was a multitude of angels uh, of the heavenly host with the angel, and they're all praising God, and they're all screaming, and they're all shouting that glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people that he favors. And so the shepherds, if they were not scared when there was, you know, they were, they were if they were afraid with only one angel, I think of how it is when there's like a bazillion angels. I don't know how many there were, but there was a lot, right? He says, the shepherds respond, and uh, and this is when the angels left him and returned to heaven. Luke tells us the shepherds, they said to another, one another, they're like, hey, let's go check this out. All right, let's go see. Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to people like us. It's crazy. He says, so they hurried off and they found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And after seeing them, they reported the message that they were told about this child. And they tell him all about the angels and what the angels said. And, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had said to him. But Mary, she was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them and thinking about them. And so the shepherds returned, glorifying, and they were praising God for all the things that they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. See what's crazy here? Is that these no-name, uneducated, bottom of the barrels, bottom of society shepherds that God would choose to announce the greatest news ever to them. 
And even them, even, even they are surprised by this. And the way they respond is just perfect. The way they respond is they worship him. You see, to people living in the first century like Luke, the story just seemed too good to be true. This story was too unbelievable. It's not what anybody would have expected. It was too amazing. And that's why everybody dug in. And that was, it was just too crazy that this would be God's big plan. I mean, think about it. Think about it this way. Nobody expected the king to be born into poverty. Nobody expected God to tell a group of shepherds a few miles away, like shepherds of all people. Nobody, nobody expected a savior to grow up perfect and for him to actually be God of the universe. And nobody expected him, when he did grow up, to befriend prostitutes and to touch dirty and sick people. Nobody expected that, right? Nobody expected this king to pick uneducated fishermen and tr- people who are traitors to their own family and people who are rebellious troublemakers to be his followers. And nobody expected the king to stand trial for crimes that he never committed. Nobody expected the king to be whipped, beaten, and stripped naked and then nailed to pieces of wood. And nobody expected the king to die the death of a criminal a shameful death as people mocked him as he was dying. And nobody, nobody expected to bury a dead king. And you know what else nobody expected? Nobody expected for that king to come back to life three days later. Nobody expected. But here's the deal. It happened. It happened. Like, this was God's plan from the beginning of time. And I know it's different, and I know it's not how we would do it, but God's ways are better and different than our ways. And that baby grew up, and that baby paid our price for our sin, not because he had to, not because he owed us, not because somehow we somehow deserved it. No, he did it because he loved us. I don't even understand that. I would have given up on us a long time ago if I were in God's position. I mean, think about it. It's an unbelievable story. It's the greatest story ever told. And the best part about the story is it's true. It's true. And the question is, how are you going to respond to it? How do you respond? It seemed like there are three ways. Um, as you look through the, uh, the story that Luke gives us, the story about Jesus and um, all of the information that he compiles together, which, by the way, we're going to be doing here at Grace on Sunday mornings from now until Easter. So we're going to go through the whole thing. Um, but what we see is, is when Jesus is out kind of doing his thing, there's kind of three ways that people responded to Jesus as king. It's really, as I look around today, it's the same way that people respond to him today. See, some people, they just straight up oppose him. Like, they're just like, you know what? I don't want anything to do with Jesus. I don't believe in Jesus. I'm not a Jesus guy. Um, you guys are Jesus fanatics. That's just not me. You know, maybe you're here just because you're going to get the free meal afterwards, which is valid. Okay, I respect that. All right? And, that, and that's you, and you're just like, Jesus needs to stay out of my life. Okay? So that might be a few people in this room. Um, others, uh, probably a, a larger group in this room, you're just like indifferent to them. All right? Just like people were back then. We're just like, you know what? Jesus like... You know, Jesus might be good for you. I don't necessarily need him. Like, I'm kind of doing my own thing. Like, I'm not against Jesus. Like, Jesus is cool. Like, I think me and Jesus were cool. But, um, but you know, I'm not against the guy. But, but you know, I really like kind of doing my own thing. And life's going pretty good right now. And so I really don't feel like I really need him. And so that's a, that's a larger group in this room. And then what a lot of people do, or what some people do, is what we see in the story here today with the shepherds. The way they respond to Jesus as king is they worship him. And they start their relationship with him. By the way, if worship is not a big deal to you, 
there's probably a good indication that you don't have a relationship. And when I talk about worship, I don't mean sing songs, okay? That's not what I'm talking about. That's a small part of what worship is. Um, worship is surrendering to him. That's what worship is, okay? That's what we're called to do, all right? Worship is surrendering to him. By the way, surrendering and control, they cannot live with each other. We get that? We can't surrender and be in all control. Like, that doesn't, it doesn't work that way. You can't do both. Some of you guys, the honest truth, if you want the honest truth, it's just that you are miserable still trying to control every little thing in your world. You can't do it. And so true worship and true surrender is you going to your creator and you saying, okay, and realizing and making the decision saying, okay, God, your ways are better than my ways and your ways are bigger than my ways. And when you do that, and when you surrender your life to him, you begin to see the real God. All right, not the made-up God that you came up with to make you feel good and make you sleep good at night, okay? Not that God. But an all-powerful, holy, perfectly just God. And you begin to also see yourself as lowly as you should. See, it was crazy. As I grow in my relationship with God, I, 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 more and more and more I realize the awesomeness and how high God is, and at the same time, I realize how small I am, and that gap between God and me, it just grows. It gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and that's how it should be. I don't know where you're at this, this Christmas. I don't know what you got going on. I don't know. I'm sure you're busy. I don't know all the plans that you have later today and tomorrow, and, and you know, and I don't know what you believe. I don't know why you're here, but the one thing I do know is that a Savior came 2,000 years ago, was born in the dirt to save you. To save you. Because you needed saving. And I would invite you to respond to him today in worship. And by that, I mean surrendering him, making the decision to surrender your life to him. And I don't know, if, if, if you're ready to do that today, I just want to lead you in kind of a prayer to kind of make that happen. And, um, and it's not about a certain amount of words. It's not about do, saying a certain thing. It's not, it's not what it is. It's really a decision that we make in our heart to give our lives to him. All right, I want to give everybody a chance to do that because not everybody in here has done that. And so if everybody would close their heads, bow their heads, think about where you're at with God. Here's the deal. Listen it. Listen it. If you don't know that you know that you know that you know that you know that at some point in your life that you have made the decision, you can't think back to that moment that you made the decision to give your life to Jesus, there's a good chance that you haven't done it yet. There's a good chance that you think you're good with Jesus, but you're actually kind of indifferent. And I would invite you to worship him. I would invite you to surrender to him. And that's probably something that you haven't actually done yet. And so all you have to do, again, it's not about a certain amount of words. All you have to do is you just have to express in your heart, in your mind, you don't even have to say it out loud. God knows your every thought. But you just have to express something like this or pray something like this to him. Dear God, I am, God, I'm messed up. I'm a sinner. I'm not perfect. I've made mistakes. I realize that. I know that. And God, I know that 2,000 years ago that you came and you left your throne room, stripped yourself of your glory to come down, to be born in the dirt, simply to save me. Now I understand why. I know I didn't deserve it. I didn't earn it in any way. You didn't owe it to me. 
I know you did it just because, just because you love me. I don't even understand why you love me that much. But God, I thank you. And I want to surrender my life to you right here, right now, today. I don't want to wait anymore. I don't want to, I'm tired of being in control. It's not working out for me good anyway. God, I want to give my life to you. It's yours. Amen. That's it. That's all it is. It's just us expressing to our creator that we are surrendering our life to him, that we are trusting not in our good stuff to get us to heaven or not in our good stuff to have a relationship with him. That doesn't matter. Throw that out the window. It's all about us relying on everything that Jesus did on that cross 2,000 years ago. And when Jesus died, the last words that he said is he said, paid in full. Because he paid for everything that we ever done wrong. See, if you did that today or you made that decision maybe for the first time in your life, I would invite you to take the next step, and that is just to simply tell somebody. All right, tell somebody who maybe um, invited you today or maybe who brought you, and I know it might be awkward, but just, just do it. If you're serious about it, do it. All right, if you would, we would like to know. We try to make this as simple and less awkward, least amount awkward as possible. Um, if you would, you could tell us. All you have to do is you just text yes Tiffin. All right, one word, doesn't matter if it's uppercase, lowercase, doesn't matter. But if you just text that to 97,097,000, we all, we're not going to show up at your doorstep. We're not going to do anything weird like that. All right, all we're going to do is we're going to send you one text back that just says, hey, if you want more information, um, you know, you send us your address, we'll, we'll, we'll mail some stuff to your house just to help you along this or help you begin this journey. But we want to encourage you to do that. All right, if you would, that would just at least let us know, even if you don't want the stuff. See, the true story of Christmas is not what anybody expected. It was the birth of the king. See, Jesus was not just a nice guy who, like, I don't know, high-fived children and carried around lambs and stuff. That's not who Jesus was. Man, he was the king. And he took off his glory to go on a rescue mission for us. And the story is true. Let's pray. God, we thank you. Um, for this story. We thank you for, for dying for us. You didn't owe it to us. You didn't, yeah, we didn't earn it. Right? We didn't deserve it. But God, you paid the price for our sin. You paid it for us. Right? Willingly. Voluntarily. And God, we thank you so much for doing this. The best gift that anybody could ever give. Lord, and you did that for us. And that was your plan. And that's what you wanted. And in that moment, when you died on the cross, you fixed our sin problem. You gave us the ability to choose to have a relationship, a real relationship with our creator. And God, there's nothing that we could do to earn our way to you. You did it. It's all on you. And Lord, we thank you. We ask if there's anybody in this room who hasn't made that decision to follow you, that they would not wait another day because they're not guaranteed a day. You don't owe them another day. Help them to make that decision today. God, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.